Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it. Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike. To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win. Yes! LeBron And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and uh, I am joined by my co-host and friend, Corbin Ford, this week to do the Eastern Conference over-under predictions. Corbin, how you doing? I'm doing good, Garrett. You know, excited to talk basketball with you. We're getting close to the season, so I'm hyped. Absolutely. Yeah, this uh, still deciding when this will actually air, but I think it'll air maybe a day or two before the season starts. So uh, hopefully this will be some content for people to get excited about as uh, as the, the season is, uh, as you stated, right around the corner. So uh, let's start with the uh, the Orlando Magic. And they're over under set at 22.5. And Corbin, of course, this team, very young. They've got a couple of uh, top 10 picks on the roster in Jalen Suggs and Franz Wagner. And uh, they, of course, have some guys that are returning from injury and Markel Foltz and Jonathan Isaac. And we still don't know exactly when they'll be back. But, uh, you know, a, a very youthful roster with a with a new head coach in Jamal Mosley. Yeah, I like this team. I mean, obviously, you know, they're starting from the bottom. You kind of know what that means for a team that's in stage one of a rebuild. But I love the kind of talent that they have on, on their roster. Uh, you know, recent draft pick Jalen Suggs alongside a, a lot of their guys that I think are guards. Um, you look at a Cole Anthony. You look at a RJ Hampton, guys I'm also big on. You look at Mo Bamba, who's done so far really well in preseason. Um, Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, they have a few guys, I think, that the talent is there uh, and the studio space is available for them to explore. And Jamal Mosley getting a chance to really, you know, get his first uh, head coaching position on a young roster and instill his own um, type of basic um, offensive and defensive tennis, really put his own impression on this team. They're going to have their bumps. I understand that for sure. A lot more losses than wins, but I am unreasonably high on them. I like the style of play I've seen so far in the preseason. Uh, and yeah, I, I 
don't know if we're going to jump right to uh, the over-under, but uh, I, I'm pretty solid with where I have mine. Okay, well, yeah, I um, I just I, – I, before we get to that, I just wanted to get sort of your take on – you mentioned the preseason play, and I've watched a little bit, and, it, you know, they've been playing the Bombo-Wendell-Carter-Jr. 4-5 combo – uh, which is uh, which is interesting. I mean, they both are capable at shooting threes. And uh, Bamba, of course, had that one preseason game with five plus blocks. Uh, so, yeah, are you uh, are you sipping on the Kool Aid from what you've seen so far from the Orlando Magic? Oh, I am. I am. And, and mind you, I don't think long term that that's going to be a good fit. I mean, honestly, the Magic will eventually have to pick between one of those two big men long term. And unfortunately for both of those, that time is coming up this season. Uh, so they both are going to have a chance to showcase themselves. I've liked so far what I've seen between the two, though. I think they'll both be inspired to play Obama just to be on the floor. Wendell Carter to build off of what he had last year. Um, and they're young guards. Yeah, I'm pumped. I think, you know, uh, finding a wing is going to be interesting. What happens to Jonathan Isaac and, and when he plays as well. But I, I am drinking a little bit of the Orlando Magic Bullet. I'm very high on this specific rebuilding team. Yeah, and again, I can't speak much to... Mosley as like a, a tactician, but just seeing him on the sideline, it seems like he's just got that sort of that it factor, that sort of positive infectious energy on the sideline. Yeah, definitely animated, definitely more of a, a player's coach in that way. As someone who had a long career overseas, has that energy and then that passion. And on a young team that's impressionable, you know, they can really feed off of that. And maybe you'll see some games that they really shouldn't be in, that they're going to give a, hard, a team a hard time, you know, a, a regular February game, you know, you get to the dog days of the NBA season later on in, in March and April and a Brooklyn Nets squad or a Laker squad or whatever might have a feisty Orlando Magic team that, yes, while mathematically they don't have anything to play for, uh, they have that spirit and drive to really make things tough and the talent to keep it interesting. Yeah, so the the challenge for me with with this Magic team is, you know, I think talent-wise, they probably are more talented on the defensive side of the ball than the offensive side. They obviously don't have – I mean, they're hoping that Jalen Suggs becomes sort of that primary lead ball handler uh, offensive star, but I I doubt he's going to be that in year one. And also, you know – They've got guys like Gary Harris and Isaac and Fultz and even, yeah, they're, they're a big man combo of, of Carter Jr. and Bamba. Those guys were all drafted, I think, in large part because of their defensive tools. So, you know, yeah, you, you look at that side of the ball and say, okay, they've got a path maybe to being an average defense or, or so. But then you look at the youth of this roster and you wonder, is that, is that uh, you know, asking a bit too much? And I think I think I think it might be at least to start um, a lot of their guys, especially when you look at that guard spot. Uh, you know, you can maybe look at Jalen Suggs to make more of an impact on one end, probably defensively, than to be like the offensive, uh, just you know, guy who ties all the strings together for Orlando. Um, at the same time, I I think it's interesting. I think that yeah, you're you're definitely going to have a much uh, less likely chance of that happening on the defensive end. But offensively, I do like enough of the firepower there. Uh, I think there could be a, a nice couple of games where they get hot and make, you know, 15, 23s or something like that. Um, I might be presuming a little bit too much, but I'm just look, from looking at what I've seen so far and looking at the guys that, if anything, they can fill it up. When you look at a Cole Anthony, you look at a RJ Hampton, it's not going to be the most efficient, you know, at, won't be the most fun half the time, but I think um, just kind of having a, a new free flowing style of play 
uh, with a young, energetic roster can can yield some interesting results. Yeah, so uh, I, I forgot to mention at the outset that all of these over over under totals that I'm going to be bringing up are based on points bet, and uh, I'm also going to be bringing up some some stats from Cleaning the Glass where they do your expected win total, and uh, so for for last season. There, the Orlando Magic expected win total over 82 games was actually 19.6. So this would be a uh, a bit of uh, an improvement on last year, despite the fact that you know last season they had some veteran guys and and a star at the beginning of the season in Nikola Vucevic, who's no longer around. Yeah, I think you also look at some continuity in terms of having a full training camp and preseason with a new coach. Um, look at some injuries that you know at this point. Um, are gone and the fact that they you know had to change on the fly with the loss of Vucevic who was their main offensive hub that Orlando Magic team last year you know it was as far as Vuce could take them on the offensive end with just enough defense to stick around and the defense lost the wheels with all the injuries they had and then they lost their entire offensive center with Nikola Vucevic and so then you just had a shell of a team where now you know you were able to at least have a coaching staff cobble together a new identity of the pieces on the roster so I definitely do see a positive increases as a logical estimation for where they were to where they are now. So let's hear it then, Corbin. Uh, what, did you have uh, over or under here for, for Orlando at 22.5? I took the over. I took the over. I see them not winning much. Uh, I think maybe around 24, 25. Uh, but I, I definitely am a little higher on them on that. I, I think, yeah, they're going to have a lot of losses. I mean, between not having, uh, aside from Terrence Ross, um, Chumo Kiki, a real three, you know, a real wing to play that small forward position, you're going to have a lot of undersized guards there uh, for the most part. Uh, you still have injuries, of course, now to, to of course, not only Isaac, but also uh, Martel Fultz. And when they come back, how does that fold together? You still have a young guard in Jalen Suggs who's going to take some time to develop and be the guy that Orlando hopes that he will be. And then, of course, you have the awkward fit between the bigs, between Wendell Carter Jr. and Mo Bamba, although I do think, unfortunately, injury, might strike sooner than later on one of that end. So with all that being said, yeah, this team's going to lose a lot of games. But I do think that when healthy, at least for the start of the season, they might surprise and be in in, in more than a few, maybe still a couple. All right, we've got our first disagreement right off the bat, Corbin, because I love it. I'm I'm going under here and, uh, you know, 22.5 is pretty low. But, uh, you know, again, their expected win total was was 19.6 last year, and, and I would expect them to be a little bit worse. You know, I, I as I stated, I, I, I do like the, the you know, I, I got a pretty good first impression from Jamal Mosley as a coach, but, you know, Steve Clifford was a, was a solid basketball coach, so it might take Mosley some time to even get to the level of Clifford as a head coach, not saying he, he won't eventually surpass him. But, uh, you know, just the, the amount of young players that this team is going to be throwing out there on a nightly basis, I really struggle to see how this team isn't one of the worst five offenses in the NBA. And then also, you know, you've got to factor in that I think the organization as well, after having a couple of cracks at getting a potential like top four pick in last year's draft, ended up with five and eight. So I think they still want to get another shot at a, uh, a, a number one overall pick and, and get that franchise star. So I'm going to go under, but uh, yeah, not feeling super confident about it. I think it's, you know, they're probably going to be in the, in the low twenties. I think, I don't know. I'm, I wasn't as high on Steve Clifford's offensive coach at all. 
Um, so I think just by him being gone, it's addition by subtraction on that end. But I am with you um, in general aside from that. I think that, yeah, they definitely be on the I'm more on the outside looking in uh, for sure as far as a team win standpoint. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think Clifford was a great offensive coach, but no. I, I think he was a very good defensive coach in his time there. Oh, yeah. He got them to outperform their talent pretty much on a, a consistent basis. Oh, yeah. No, no, for sure. For sure. I'm just I, – I think even if they're on the t- bottom five of the offensive side, I, I will venture to say I don't think it will be by much. I, I think that their offensive side will be leagues better just because I like the fact that they have a coach, I think, that can make more of the personnel. Even last year, I don't think their personnel was as bad as their offense was. I just think you had a coach that had no offensive imagination, and they unfortunately couldn't do anything on the defensive side of the glass. So, we'll, I mean, defensive side of the ball. So we'll see. But I, I, I'm more in line with you than against you. It's a disagreement, but, like – very slight. We've had we've had way worse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I think the 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 case for them would be something like you know maybe being twenty fifth on offense and eighteenth on defense, something like that. That probably gets you over that over this number. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm envisioning something more in line as like the twenty seventh or twenty eighth offense and maybe the twenty first defense, something in that range. But but yeah, um, let's let's move on to the next team. In the, in the East listed here, and that is the Detroit Pistons. And uh, their number is set at 24.5. The, uh, the, the expected wins for last season over 82 was actually 28.9. So uh, they, they underperformed their, uh, their point differential quite significantly last season. And, uh, of course, they're bringing in Cade Cunningham, they, uh, they still have some other young guys on the roster like Killian Hayes and uh, Isaiah Stewart. And, uh, you know, they've got a guy in Jeremy Grant that I think was, uh, was really great for them last year. I, I think this team has, has some decent talent there. You know, you talk about Sadiq Bay also at the wing spot. I think Cade Cunningham has an opportunity to be an impactful player right out of the gate. They brought in Kelly Olynyk, who I think you know, maybe isn't the greatest player in the world, but in terms of having a guy there that will help the development of Killian Hayes and Cade Cunningham and, and others, having that stretch big, I think is, is, is a really good thing for this team to have. So I'm, I'm, I'm relatively optimistic. I think this number might be a little low. I tend to agree with you. I mean, if I got to go with the Atlanta Magic and how, how hopeful I am on them, I think the Pistons have significantly better talent. Also, shout out to myself for not mentioning Mo or Franz Wagner. It just shows you how high I was on either of them in my Orlando Magic uh, dialogue there. But, no, I agree. I think that, you know, you have guys, uh, Jeremy Grant, you know, I definitely don't think he's the number one option, but he definitely showed a lot more off the off the bounce juice than I expected. Uh, and consistent shot-making ability, even though it did take a predictable dip, uh, as expected with increased pressure and, you know, just him not being a natural shot-maker in that way. Um, but, you know, you bring in a guy like Sadiq Bey, uh, you look at uh, hopefully some improvement from Killian Hayes alongside having Cade Cunningham and just some of the other guys on that uh, Pistons roster and a guy in Dwayne Casey who, again, like we mentioned in, in similar to a um, similar to a Coach Clifford in terms of trying to get the most out of your players. Um, I think that Casey is kind of an under, underrated coach. I think that eh, he's underrated now. I think he was a little overrated with Toronto. Um, up to a certain extent, but I think now he's on a team that, you know, people aren't expecting a whole lot from, and I think that um, he's going to surprise some folks. I'm taking you over. Yeah, I, I think the the best way to describe Dwayne Casey is he's he's a very good regular season coach, and he's a horrendous playoff coach. 
but uh, the the Pistons, <laughs> the the Pistons aren't worried about the playoffs right now. So they're I think this is a perfect job for Dwayne Casey, where you know he's he's been known even when he was in Toronto, he he gets his young players uh, to uh, to improve, and he gets he gets teams to play hard, and he gets more out of the talent than you would expect in in regular season play. So. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you, and uh, I'm also going with the over here. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think they've got an opportunity to be better than uh, than uh, the, the team we're going to talk about next. Well, let's hear it. <laughs> uh, so, so the next team listed is the Cleveland Cavaliers. Their over-under is set at 27.5. The, uh, the, their win expectancy over 82 for last season was just 20.3. And uh, they're bringing in Evan Mobley, who I think is a, is going to be a work in progress. They've still got a, a very young roster. Isaac Okoro is still very much a work in progress and a developing player. They, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure how this team expects to score when your front court is Isaac Okoro, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen. I mean, I think it's just going to be an absolute slog on the offensive end. And, uh, you know, defensively, yes, they're, they, they have uh, some, some talent on that end in the front court in that starting lineup. But then, like, you talk about that backcourt, it's a similar issue that the Blazers have had with Lillard and McCullum over the years. You've got that small of a backcourt that doesn't really give you much on that end. There's there's a ceiling to how good you can be defensively. Uh, clearly agree. I think this roster is it's 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 clearly I'm taking the under as you can tell. Um, offensively, it's going to be kind of clunky, like you said. You're you're looking at a mismatch front court. You know, uh, you still have a big Kevin Love question kind of over your head. You know, you, you're looking at a Colin Sexton who you sort of believe in, but you don't believe in, but maybe you do, you know, uh, lack of shooting at the three spot. And if you're looking at Isaac Core, like you said, the three, then like good luck to any spacing outside of whatever Darius Garland will give you and whatever Colin Sexton will give you when he doesn't give you the ball back. So it's a lot of disjointedness. I feel like Evan Mobley's going to have a, he's going to have a time of it. I'll say that. I think he's shown some intriguing skill, but definitely get to work on that catch and shoot. That might be the only time he really touches the ball. Yeah, and I, I think for the Cavs, uh, you know, I uh, I remember you had uh, Justin Matcham on Round Ball Ramble talking uh, Cavs offseason, and he made a great point that, like, you know, I think a decent scenario for Cleveland is that they're still bad and they get another another high lottery pick to add that potential, that final piece or that main piece. They may still need that number one guy. Uh, on this roster, depending on how high you are on Darius Garland. I still think he could potentially get there, but it might be a long shot at this stage. Uh, You know, so I don't think it's that uh, it's that terrible of a a scenario. If, if Cleveland struggles again, you know, the, the one thing that I think you would hope for though, is despite maybe the team failing to get a bunch of wins, you, you are hoping for individual player development. Yeah. I think that's the one thing you look at. I think if you if you believe in Darius Garland being able to be that guy, let's see some signs of that over the course of this year. You know, let's see Evan Mobley work on some outside shooting, how he fits in the pro game just in general. Um, will Jared Allen give you something outside of what he's already known, but he can still grow? I mean, that contract hopefully says that he can, you know. So he's been talking about, like, stretching out the corner three a little bit. Maybe we see that, finishing around the rim some. Uh, Isaac Coro bringing some more offensive uh, talent. You know, we know what he's going to bring defensively. Colin Sexton. You know, can he do some more than just be like a 
scoring focused combo guard? Is there another development there? I think those are at least just a few of the questions you're looking at for Cleveland um, and where they are, because you're right. This is a year where you can't really expect a whole lot aside from hopefully internal development. So hopefully there is internal development to be had. All right. All right. So we're both under for for Cleveland. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't I don't even think it's particularly close. I might have gone under even if this was set. You know, the the actual line is twenty seven point five. If this was set at even at twenty five, I probably still might go under. You know, I probably would, too, to be honest with you. I'm not going to lie. I'm not super high on this squad, and I don't think – I mean, if injuries happen, good luck with that, but I also don't think the talent is is all the way there. Like, I was higher on Orlando's offense more so because I know the defense is going to be a train wreck, but i like, okay, you have a night where these guys get hot, 15 or so threes, something crazy, you know, that sort of thing. I, I find it even less likely to believe that would happen for Cleveland just because I don't think they even have the, the, the commissionate shooting to make that possible. Right. All right, let's move on to the next team then. And there's a pretty big jump here uh, as uh, the Wizards are next up. And their over-under is set at 34.5. And uh, last season, their uh, their win expectancy over 82 was 36.9. And, uh, you know, this is, is going to be – I'm guessing before we even talk about it that we're probably going to disagree a bit on this because – you know, you, of course, Corbin, are a, a huge Russell Westbrook fan, and I am not. So I imagine that you felt the swap that they made with the Lakers was a downgrade for the Wizards basketball team, whereas I look at that and say, I think they got better. You know what? I might surprise you. I think both teams got better. One team added a tremendous All-Star Hall of Fame talent, um, you know, top 12 to 15 point guard in the NBA, and the other team got much needed depth. The additional depth that's added for this Wizards team helps them so much more, especially when you consider that so many, so many of the lineups around Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal last season were full of mismatched rosters starting two centers or three-point guards and not enough spacing. Um, some of one of the most used lineups included Ish Smith and Robin Lopez, which unfortunately kind of shrinks the floor down to you know a very sizable degree. So the fact that now you know you are losing just the best singular talent you've had on this roster since um just Bradley Beal, but you have a lot more um, of a fit in positions of need that you didn't before, most notably um, at the, at the, the three. And, and I would, I would even say an upgrade, not an upgrade, but uh, just as good quality at the one for this roster. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Spencer Dinwiddie is a, is a really nice fit. He can play off the ball uh, with Bradley Beal, but then also can, can operate on it. And they both are good at getting to the free throw line. Uh, they both can score at all three levels. I think the, the the biggest thing for the Wizards improving upon what they did last year is just getting better defensively. And I think with a new coach in there, that uh, Wes Unsell Jr., that's going to try to get them committed on that end of the floor, bringing in KCP, and it looks like through, at least in the preseason, that he is starting, which I think is the right call. Uh, I think they've got a chance to be a little bit better defensively without – really slipping much on the offensive end. 
I actually agree. I think that, you know, you have this additional depth. You have these two Laker holdovers, and two of the Lakers' better defenders uh, in Cantavius Caldwell-Pope and Kyle Kuzma, who made great um, leaps in that direction as well. Um, you have some more balanced play offensive, like you said. You have a guy who can play off the ball, which I will admit, Russell Lippert could not do as effectively as Spencer Dinwiddie will be able to do. Um, alongside Bradley Beal, you have a dynamic role man in Montrezl Harrell, who, you know, despite all the flack he caught with the Lakers, did play true to form for the last couple of years for him, especially when he came to finishing and his uh, shooting percentage around the basket there. Uh, yeah, I mean, you have to like the way that they're assembled. You also have, of course, Rui Hachimura and Denny Avija already there that can take uh, tremendous leaps and have already credited Russell Westbrook with improving their own mental focus on the game and their drive. So we have to see how they manifest stuff in the game. But um, if they have any improved mental toughness there for some young players on this team, that can go a long way for the Washington Wizards. Well, and I brought up uh, Justin Matcham earlier, but I actually have a bet with him that uh, the Wizards have to win at least 39 games for me to win the, the bet next season. And if they win below 39, he wins it. So I'm obviously wow. going over here on the 34.5 because I think they're going to get to 39 or 40. I have to agree. I have to agree. I think the talent is there. This isn't a, this has some young pieces on this team, but make no mistake. This is a veteran team, uh, young veterans, you know, all these guys are in their, you know, late twenties, but guys who have been on winning teams for the most part, um, guys who have had a playoff ex- experience and want to make more of a name for themselves. And they all have the wa- opportunity to do that here in Washington. So the next team up is the Toronto Raptors and their over under is set just a game higher than Washington at 35.5. And uh, last season, Toronto had uh, a year where for for a while there, they had like the best point differential in NBA history for a team that was like 10 games under 500, something like that. Uh, And, uh, you know, it obviously was a season where they were playing in Tampa, which was was tough on their players. They had a bunch of COVID absences. And, you know, towards the end of the year, they instead of sort of fighting for the the play in and, and becoming the eighth seed and then getting destroyed in round one, they they opted for uh, improving their draft pick. So they intentionally tanked quite a bit down the stretch. So, you know, looking at this number, thirty five point five, I mean, it's expecting them to be even worse than last year, despite all that went on. It's kind of crazy when you look at it. You're right. It was it was. It was really just a loss here for the Tampa Raptors. Um, I think that you look at, you know, of course, injury and COVID strike and everything there. And the fact that once they started down that hole, they just had to lean more into it. You know, hey, let's add another piece. I think a lot of talk from from fans, from people on the outside looking in was let's add a heir apparent to um, Kyle Lowry, who, you know, was kind of sworn to be on the move, uh, regardless of whether he was of the trade that or not so you know you have this team now that you bring back a bunch of pieces of course Kyle Lowry is gone but now there's maybe more of a clearly defined pecking order um in terms of having a Pascal Siakam having development from OJ Anobi uh Fred Van Vliet who I think will pair perfectly like he did the last couple of years Scotty Barnes who I was not a fan of at the time that he was selected from Toronto but I'm starting to grow in terms of how he fits on this team uh yeah I mean this is a team now I think can, can kind of find their groove again after a year that I, I tend to throw that out entirely because it was just lost from the beginning they were just jointed out of home and injuries and stuff struck and they clearly played like that all happened yeah i've heard a lot of people talking about this raptors offense and it being a real struggle and you know especially without siakam it's going to be a bit of an issue and and i i can understand that 
you know, but uh, I have some high hopes. And, and from what we've seen in the preseason, I, I think OG Ananobi is going to take a leap this year. I picked him as my uh, uh, choice for most improved player for this upcoming season. But, uh, you know, you look at you look at the backcourt in in Fred Van Fleet and Gary Trent Jr. And off the bench, you've got Goran Dragic, Svi Mikhailiuk, and, uh, you know, Malachi Flynn. You've got Boucher coming off the bench. Again, I think Ananobi has, I think the perception is still that he's a below average shooter, but I think he's an above average shooter at this stage. Siakam had a down year last year from three, but I still think, you know, as a, as a power forward, he provides at least average three point shooting. I don't, I don't think the, the spacing on this team is nearly as bad as, uh, as, as a lot of people are suggesting. And, and, you know, yeah, I, I definitely think the half court offense is going to struggle until Siakam comes back, but once he returns, I, I don't think that's necessarily a huge weakness either. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like you're right. OJ and Nobi, I think, is a better shooter than implied. You look at guys like Malachi Flynn, like Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam had a down year. But I think those to be expected with more of a, of, a, of a role than I think he was expecting. You know, the second year where he's had a little bit. And, and he even mentioned some weirdness alongside, you know, Kyle Lowry in terms of the shots he was taking or, or whatever the case may be. So I think you have more of a, again, I think that knowing your role is going to help with some of that too, getting better shot attempts again. A lot injuries impacted a lot. You weren't playing with these normal units on its surface. You look at each player for the most part, they're pretty solid shooters with the exception of Scotty Barnes. I'm not looking at going, Oh, you're not a shooter. Oh, you're not a shooter. You know what I mean? Right. It's Barnes and their two centers in, uh, in, in Birch and in Achua. Those, exactly. those three guys are really the only players in their rotation that, that are, are listed as non-shooters. Exactly. And even, I mean, I feel like even Achua can one up. I mean, those guys, like you said, are the only ones you would say no. Like, I still wouldn't even feel I would feel horrible. They're not shooters. But the point being is, like, that just shows, like, again, how much shooting there is on the rest of the roster. That 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 for that to be a problem, I think is an issue. I I I think for that to be a problem is overblown. Rather, let me just say that. Um, defensively, I think they'll be solid. Offensively, you look at initiation. Who's going to be the lead guy? I think you could kind of maybe find some finagling there if you don't believe that Pascal Siakam is the one where the Fred Van Vliet whose shooting efficiency did go down with more of an increased role or, or that you don't expect OG and nobody to take another level up that could be something but I think you have a well-coached team I think you'll have a really uh well-functioning Toronto Raptors unit yeah it's uh you know and, and again I don't want to I don't want to overstate my case I'm not suggesting that Toronto is going to be an above average or even good offense. I, I think they'll still be below league average on that. end. I just don't think they're going to be as bad as a lot of people are suggesting. Uh, you know, if they're, if they're 18th on offense, I, that wouldn't surprise me at all. That that's kind of like 18 to maybe 2022. 20, that's sort of the range I'm expecting. And then you look at all the talent they have on the defensive end. And I think, you know, a top 10 unit on that side of the ball is, uh, you know, pretty reasonable it's possible i definitely am uh more of the opinion that there's a trending upward now and again i felt this way already even despite any changes that were made on this roster just because again people understand just how bad that was or how, how bad you can imagine from from an nba perspective a psychological perspective and everything for a team that was hit pretty hard and was playing outside of like their home like, yeah, I think even if you were to bring back the exact same team, I'd be a lot higher on them, much less the improvements that were made across the board um, from the draft pick to uh, Ken Birch's arrival um, 
to, of course, you know, the internal development from more than a few of these guys that, yeah, I think Toronto is going to be a much improved product. Well, yeah, and obviously, you know, people are going to say, well, they lost Kyle Lowry, but even Lowry missed some time last year and wasn't as good as he had been no. in, in previous seasons. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm relatively high on this team. Like, I, I think, you know, they, they could easily be sort of uh, right around 500, that sort of range. And, you know, the defense is what is really, I think, going to make the big difference. Like, I, I think with with Ananobi, with Siakam, with Van Fleet, with Scotty Barnes was drafted in large part because he's got all the tools to be a terrific defensive piece. Um, you know, even their 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 centers now are, are pretty solid on the defensive end. And I think even a guy like Boucher, while he's not a great uh, center defensively. I think if he's playing more at the four, I think he does provide some, some, some positive value with the secondary rim protection and some of those things that he does. So, you know, they're, they're going to struggle on the defensive glass. They're going to, you know, they're going to probably give up a bunch of threes because they, you know, fly around trying to force turnovers and wreak havoc. But yeah, I, uh, I think they've got all the talent in the world and, they, they've got one of the best coaches in the NBA as well to put it together. That's true. All that together is a recipe for the over for me, Garrett. All right. So we're in agreement and uh, we've got a, we've got a streak going where uh, we, we disagreed on the first one, Orlando, but we've agreed on the last four. So uh, moving on to the next team here, and that is the Charlotte Hornets. They're over under set at 37.5. Last season, their win expectancy over 82 games was 34.6 based on their point differential. And, uh, you know, again, this is a situation where there, there was some roster turnover. They lost the likes of uh, Devontae Graham and uh, Cody Zeller. They brought in the likes of, oh, oh and, and uh, I can't forget Malik Monk, and uh, brought in Mason Plumley and Kelly Oubre. So just just based off of that, sort of what they did this offseason, Corbin, of course, they drafted a couple of guys in the uh, in the first round as well. Uh, but uh, just based off of that, do you feel like this roster is an upgrade over what we saw last campaign? I mean, honestly, I would say like mo- at best, maybe a lateral move. Yeah. Um, I mean, you bring in, you know, Ish Smith, you bring in Kelly Oubre, um, you draft James Booknight and Kai Jones. Uh, you know, you extend Kay Rozier. Uh, but then I do think losing Malik Monk after he had a really solid final year, shooting 40% from three is big. Uh, Devontae Graham, another guy who really helped your outside shooting. Another guy who shot, you know, 37% from three. He's gone as well. Um, and then, uh, yeah, that, I think I think that's what's, what's, what's kind of rough between that. Losses. Uh, Cody Zeller being another one too. I, I don't knock Cody Zeller as hard because he was injury riddled, but when he did play, the man was effective, you know? And so you, you, you bring in Kelly Uber who had an up and down year, mostly down for uh golden state before going down with injury, uh, you know, for two years, 24 mil. And I mind you that second year is partially guaranteed, but still is Smith has been solid. I, I'm not going to knock him, but he's not bringing any shooting for you on that end as well. And he will be active and do his best on the defensive end, but I mean, that's the best you're going to get from there. So I, again, I'm not super, super high. Mason Plumlee, I think, can be a nice connector. You know, uh, definitely, uh, I would say an upgrade over Cody Zeller in terms of, you know, being more healthy, 
you know, as Jin's saying, a lot with his Zeller, but still, and also bringing something to the ball aside from just being a role man. You know, somebody can do some kind of secondary initiation off of slips and things of that nature. And someone who really helped Detroit in the in a major way, especially in the early going. So I, I say all that to see, it's like one step forward, two steps back. I feel like the Hornets did the tango. Um, and ultimately, they kind of finished right about where they were last year. Uh, and that's kind of where I see them. Thanks for bringing up Ish Smith because I always I always forget him when I'm talking about the Hornets. But uh, yeah, I mean he's <laughs> he's a solid player. And although you you noted the the key difference in his game versus Devonte Graham, you know you get very very much a a plus shooter in Graham, and you and you go to a guy that really is a is an extremely limited one. But he does push the pace. He'll make them a little bit uh, better of a transition team than Graham was capable of doing. But, uh, you know, you talk about, again, that this line is basically set at three wins higher than their point differential last season would indicate. So to me, it's a lot about does LaMelo Ball take a big leap and some of maybe their other young players. But, uh, you know, we've seen in the past that especially with with young stars in the league, that it that progression improvement is not always linear. We saw, you know, of course, Zion Williamson got much better from year one to two in the league, but Definitely. guys like Jason Tatum and uh, Brandon know, Ingram, Brandon Ingram, some of those guys kind of stagnated from from year one to two. They did in some cases, year two to three. So I'm totally with you on that as well. It does take a little bit of time there. And I do see, I mean, on the mellow ball, I do see making some improvements. Some of these younger guys on the roster, you look at a PJ Washington, you look at a, at a Miles Bridges. Uh, these guys are, are guys that have already made, you know, their their impact felt and, and can continue to grow that out. We'll see about the health of Gordon Hayward after he was signed, you know, that four-year $120 million contract. There was a lot of concern there. It was up and down, just like we expected, because when he played, he played well. But he only had 44 games, and in the biggest game of the year for them, the playing game, he was sidelined for it. And he's only getting older. He'll be 31 this season, or going 32. So, you know, that's kind of where I look at them, where it really just depends. I think that, you know, they could have went for Rashawn Holmes or Nolan Noel. They decided not to. I think James Booknight was a good pick for where he was and what he brings. Um, and then Kai Jones as well. I mean, being able to nab him for what they did was okay. So I don't know. I just think, again, I'm not totally enamored, as you can tell. The excitement is just rushing out of me, Garrett, uh, over the Hornets offseason and what they'll be. I think they'll be solid enough but I, I really see them more or less where they were this past year. Even though, like you said, that, you know, development is not something that you can necessarily chart with an upward trajectory. Sometimes it is a little more minute in what you see. Yeah. The book night pick is interesting because yeah. And, and you know, I, I won't blame them at all. If, if they just sort of took the, the best player available, at least on their board, but as far as the fit, you know, I, I don't think it was the, the, the perfect selection given that, you know, they've got, uh, they've got your boy Terry Rozier there. They've got Lamelo. The uh, they they've got Lamelo Ball. They've got Ish Smith. All those guys really, uh, you know, are better with the ball in their hands. And and Book Knight is definitely that type of a player. I might have liked to have seen somebody like a Chris Duarte in that uh, in that team. And I think he also would help in the event that Gordon Hayward were to go down again to just have that extra depth at the wing spots. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, that's, that's the other thing is, you know, even if you're a big fan of, of a book night, I can't imagine as, uh, you know, we've seen from the vast majority of rookies that he's going to help them win games this season. 
So uh, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are. Are you going over under on this uh, 37.5 number? I'm taking the under. I can see him not by much. I can see him between 34, 35. Um, but for me to think 37 is getting close to the 40, which is where I think Washington is. I'm so much more solid on Washington than I am on, on, on the Hornets. I think one injury to a key guy, whether that is Hayward again, whether it is a LaMelo ball, and you see a deep slide that will have them toward the bottom once again in the lottery. So um, I, I'm definitely uh, a little less optimistic on them, but they can definitely improve. Uh, that's well within. They're kind of that sliding scale there. But ultimately, I will take the under. Our streak continues. I'm going under as well. And uh, wow. it's it's not just Washington, but Toronto as well, I think are going to be better. I would I would pick both of them to be better than, than the Hornets this season. But uh, I, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be like a super disappointing year. I just think it's going to be a pretty similar campaign to what they had in the, uh, the 2021 year. And, uh, you know, I think it might be good because they, they could still use some more uh, some more picks in the lottery to, to build out this roster. Yeah, just I see just more of the same. Now, yeah. You know, and, I, and right now, for as young a team as they are in terms of their trajectory moving up, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It just is a thing. Yep. All right. So the the next team up is the Chicago Bulls, and uh, I would say this is maybe the team that NBA Twitter has argued about the most this offseason. And I'm excited to to hear your thoughts on this. The Bulls. They're over under set at 41.5. So right around 500, maybe slightly above based on this and uh, their 2020-21 expected win total was at 37.8. So uh, uh, at least over a three win jump here, but they did add the likes of DeRozan in the off season. And they also have a, a full season of, Nikola Vucevic this time around, but I would also argue that, uh, you know, in, in making some of those moves, they cost themselves considerable depth. Oh, I mean, see, I hate when you leave me off in this spot because I want to push back a little bit. I mean, you do lose, actually, I can't push back that much. You lose Thaddeus Young and, and that was a big part of what you had. I'm not really going to fight too much for Larry Markkinen or Archie Diakono, but I mean, yeah, those guys had moments. Thomas Sadaransky and Garrett Temple. Although I will say that Garrett Temple's three-point shooting has dipped over the last couple of years. Defensively, he's out, but at 35, I don't know if we expect more of the same there. Um, so maybe I'm just not the highest Garrett Temple fan. Uh, and if I was a big Thomas Sadaransky fan, I, I would be with you. Maybe, you know, uh, the story he gave about not getting... <laughs> <laughs> it was the funniest tale of the offseason for me. But uh, I guess he did not feel he got the proper goodbye as a player of the statue should have received from the Chicago Bulls organization for all that he sacrificed during the two years of uh, their uh, meh play. But well, you're, you're forgetting the most notable departure, Corbin, which is Daniel Tice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am because, boy, did he make an impact. No. Um, but, no, I will agree with you mostly, uh, of course, for – the depth that they did have, having a guy like a Thad Young and all the different gaps he was able to fill, having a guy like like we mentioned in terms of uh, Stanaransky and Temple, who for what they provided, I mean, mind you, I don't want to give them too much credit because like that depth didn't do a whole lot for them last year. I mean, aside from Thaddeus Young, I think those other two guys are, I'm not, as you can tell, super high. I think Stanaransky, you kind of know what he is. And yes, would he make a positive impact on the Chicago Bulls? Yes, but I think he would when surrounded by players significantly better than him we saw him last year players more of his ilk we saw where that led so that's kind of where i feel about him um with that being said i loved the guys that are brought in uh for one you bring in laker legend alex caruso you know where i stand about him 
uh, what he was able to provide. And the fact that so far it is the preseason, so I don't want to take too much from that, but he's fit in perfectly well for someone that really his numbers look so good playing across LeBron. Maybe they look good because LeBron played alongside Alex Caruso. You think about that. <laughs> Aside from that, um, Lonzo Ball, definitely someone who looks just so much more improved. I think New Orleans really helped him in terms of development. Uh, his jump shot, a lot more confidence there. Uh, him being able to be trusted with the ball in his hands, be more of a, a point guard that he wants to be. Whether or not we agree that's what he should be, I think more playmaking wing, but whatever the case may be, he's there. DeMar DeRozan, not sure big fan of the contract, but uh, I do like the fact that he is at least getting some uh, light of how well he played in San Antonio. Watching a lot of San Antonio Spurs basketball. Uh, defensively, not great, just in general. Uh, three-point shot on the offensive end, forget about it. But offensively, in terms of that, being able to uh, increase the assist percentage and his uh, ball uh, facilitation skills each year, he was in San Antonio, becoming a more uh, uh, clutch shooter, dare I say, down the stretch for San Antonio in spots. Uh, if you close your eyes and ignore the playing game that the Spurs were in, you kind of like the way you've seen DeMar DeRozan perform in San Antonio Spurs jersey. And the type of game that he has, I don't think will regress significantly in Chicago. So you add those three big players, you bring in Tony Bradley, you bring in Javante Green, Elise Johnson, uh, and you surround that alongside a returning, of course, Nikola Vucevic. And that's all, of course, with Zach Levine. And I really, really, really am high on the offensive uh, ceiling of this Chicago Bulls team. Man, you, uh, you know, you were uh, really given the likes of uh, Sadoransky and, uh, <laughs> and, and Thad Young and and some of those guys a hard time and then you're bringing up uh, Alicia Johnson and Tony Bradley as if they're their significant upgrade over those guys I, I think I, I will take all of those guys over Staderansky that's how low I am on Tomas oh, but but I, I'm not I, I my one regret actually is throwing Thad Young and even Alfred Camino, who I barely remember in Chicago, in the same vein, because I really, really was a big fan of Thad Young and we provided. I think the guy still has just tremendous juice, um, and he's that kind of guy that kind of, like I said, does a little bit of everything in a major way. Like he is what I think we're describing all of the Bulls' veteran loss. That's like a guy who like significantly fills gaps, knows his role, and is a positive contributor. I definitely think that loss was significant. But the other guy, I mean, you put Thadaransky next to Daniel Tice for me. <laughs> Sorry, and and also like Alize Johnson and them. I keep getting mixed up. With, I don't know why I keep saying Elise and definitely Tony Bradley. Not big uh, contributors in the way that I look at Caruso, Demar Derozan, Alonzo Ball, but I thought I had to throw them in. But I will say this: I think there's an additional addition to the additional addition. I think there is yet another uh, a positive for Chicago in the fact that by bringing in a guy like Caruso, by bringing in Alonzo Ball, we're able to push Kobe White more to his. I think. Uh, preferred role and more to what a role is better suited for him that being just a shot making combo guard you know not someone who we have to pretend can initiate the offense in a way a traditional point guard will because not his game he's more he's definitely more um colin sexton than darius garland if we're comparing it to the cleveland team you know so i like the fact that by bringing in these guys you are able to push uh Kobe back down to more of that role that's best fit for him. And with the exception of DeRozan, you improve their defense alongside the perimeter with Lonzo Ball and Alex Russo. Yeah, so um, a couple go. things in response to that. Because <laughs> uh, I'm getting the sense that we disagree on, on this team. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, as far as as far as Kobe White, I definitely agree that, you know, I think he's He's better suited to being like a seventh or eighth man on your team as opposed to your best bench guy. Uh, but, uh, you know, 
the other issue is I, I think this team to get to maximize the offensive ceiling, they they will need to stagger Levine and DeRozan a decent amount. And, you know, with one of them on the floor, I think that takes some reps and, and the ball out of Kobe White's hands a little bit too much for my liking. But, uh, you know, also to your comment about the defense, I think this is where we disagree the most because I do not think they improved the defense at all. I think they got worse. I mean, for one, Thaddeus Young was, I think, their best defensive player last season. Uh, you know, Daniel Tice, you can you can give him a hard time as much as you want, but he's a quality defensive center. He's better than Tony Bradley. I'll just say that. Um, I'll, I'll agree with that. You know, um, Thomas Sadoransky, solid, solid defensive piece. So yes, they brought in, they brought in Caruso Better. and Lonzo Ball. Better. <laughs> I'm, I'll stop. I'll stop. I'll stop. <laughs> they brought in those couple of guys, and yes, they uh, they might be slight upgrades at, at their respective spots, but then you downgraded at three or four other positions, and then you're also bringing in Demar Derozan for a full season who's one of the worst defensive players in the NBA. And then you've got a full season of Nikola Vucevic, who, yes, he he executes the scheme. He's a big person on the floor, but he's not, uh, you know, he's not an above average center. I would say he's a below average defensive center. So right off the bat, you know, just Levine, DeRozan, and Vucevic, that's three of your starting five. I don't care if your other two are pretty good. That, that, puts a cap on how good your defense can be, especially when, you know, there's, there's not a lot outside of Caruso. There's not a lot of defensive talent coming off the bench. Fair enough. I, I will give you that. I do think that you substitute with that for some offensive pop. I think Zach Levine will definitely appreciate the help on the offensive end because Lord knows, you know, Garrett Temple and Tomas weren't really giving him all that there, but uh, um, I, I also think that this comes down almost, I mean, the facts are what they are. I agree 100% with what you're saying. Their defense is definitely a downgrade. Their offense, I think, is definitely an upgrade. Uh, the fit is going to be different. Like you said, a staggering just has to happen because it, it makes no sense to give Levine any space if you're going to have DeMar DeRozan next to him kind of sitting in the short corner, like very short corner, not three-point, like 15, 20 feet out, or you know when to have the ball. And there's only so much off-ball action you can do. I do think there are sets that can utilize Zach Levine off the ball in ways that weren't able to be done before just because you really didn't have anyone else that was a threat on ball to free Levine up for anything. So I do like that. Um, but yeah, defensively is definitely going to be a hit. I'm just high on the offense. And I think that kind of falls back to where we align, align ourselves philosophically from the basketball perspective. I'm just higher on that end more so than the weaknesses on one, but I get what you're saying in terms of the like balance of having, you know, some type of defensive aptitude. Uh, I do think ball and Caruso are definitely upgrades. I just, uh, I mean, we're looking at a, a Tomas, a, a Stanaranski, of course, and a fading, um, who got two years guaranteed somehow, Garrett Temple. So I don't think that there is uh, like a significant, I don't think there is a, I don't think it's particularly close. Uh, I think both those guys will upgrade there as well. But like you said, you're not going to have all those guys on the floor at the same time. And if so, rarely, because if you do do, if you do, if you do use, I'm tired, Caruso Ball, um, DeRozan at the four, maybe Levine at the two or three, and then Vooch, there's still some weaknesses there, most notably at Levine's position, at DeRozan's position, and at Vooch's position. So you still have issues there on the offensive side. But I do like the offensive firepower. I do like the fact that it can be staggering. I like the fact that whether you put the ball in Levine's hands or DeRozan's hands, you do have some playmakers available and uh, able to create shots for both himself as well as others consistently. 
Yeah. So I think the, uh, you know, in regards to Lonzo Ball, yes, he's a good defensive player, but I also just question how much a perimeter defender like him can actually improve his own team's defense. I mean, look at look at the Pelicans the last few years. Ball was still a good defender on those teams, but he did not get those teams out of the muck on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, but I think the big differentiator here is just, you know, I think we both agree that this team is going to be better on the offensive end and, you know, maybe – below average to bad on the defensive end. It's just a matter of, you know, how good we're thinking the offense is and how bad the defense is. Like I'm kind of envisioning sort of, if if I had to put a range on it defensively, I would say anywhere from 16 to 24. And I would say right around 20 would be where I would expect it. 16 would be the good, good end of things. And 24 would be the bad end offensively. I'm kind of more, more on like the, from nine to 15, nine would be kind of the, the good side of things. 15 would be the, the bad side and sort of 12 as the average. So my, my expectation, the 12th offense, 20th defense, that's like a slightly below average basketball team. That's going to win around 39 or 40 games, which would put them under and, and, Spoiler alert, that's what I have here. I'm, I'm going bulls under. But, you know, the their play in the preseason has made me consider it more. I was prior to that, I was thinking this is an easy call. And now it's a it's a bit more challenging for me. Oh, for sure. It's funny. We are. I mean, for someone who is disagreeing with you on this, one, I'm taking the over. I do feel remarkably similar to you in terms of the ranges. Defense, I'm actually a little lower. I'm thinking more between 20 and 22. Uh, which isn't going to be good. I just think the offense is going to be high-powered enough, that especially in the East uh, and where they are. Mind you, East competitive, but just where they are, that I think that they will kind of get between 9 and 12, 9 and 13. As you can see, the reason I'm taking the over is I'm skewing more toward the offensive side of the ball. I just think you have all of that, barring some significant injury, they'll be to put the ball in the basket at a consistent rate. And they have two guys, two, uh, I don't want to say elite shot makers, but two very good shot makers in Levine and DeRozan down in this clutch uh, that I trust. So I'm definitely taking the over, but I'm envisioning uh, quite a few shootouts to get there. All right. So we've got our second disagreement on the board. Makes things interesting here. I, I, it was uh, it was fun to have such a nice, uh, nice uh, streak of uh, agreements. But uh, I love the synergy. It's fun when things get a little feisty here on Duncan. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so, I love it. <laughs> uh, Next up is the New York Knicks, and uh, they're over-under set at 41.5. And uh, last season, the Knicks' uh, expected win total over 82 was 47. So uh, this is a, this would suggest a significant drop-off for the New York Knicks this season and, and kind of feeling like last season was a bit of a fluke. But, uh, you know, I kind of feel like what Thibodeau did there was was pretty legit. They're a deep basketball team. They've got some young talent that that can improve. And uh, also, I think you know, say what you want. They for you know they they overpaid Fournier. That's for sure. They overpaid Noel, but they brought back a lot of the guys they needed to bring back. And I think they made a couple of upgrades, and most notably in uh, in that uh, last signing in Kemba Walker. I would agree. I think that a lot of the Knicks uh, season last year was just them good, hard defense and, and, and really improving on that and showing it up and having just enough offense and, uh, and most notably uh, a lot of improvement uh, from Julius Randle to make it happen. And then, of course, when they were able to get uh, Derrick Rose uh, around midseason, that was a big boost for them as well. Uh, 
this year I'm a little more down on them, but not because of anything that they did, just the teams around them. You know, I think that you have teams that are just stronger than before, healthier than before, that are going to make things different. And I think we'll just knock them down just because talent-wise, the Knicks aren't quite there. But the addition to Kemba Walker did make me rethink things. Even a ailing Kemba Walker who's aging as well, I think is a tremendous upgrade in terms of an additional scoring punch that can create his own shot from scratch that the Knicks offense didn't have uh, on a consistent basis. And no more was that more prevalent than what we saw in the playoffs against Atlanta. Yeah, so let's let's hear it then. If, if you think they're going to be pushed down by, and, and I think that's a fair case that yeah, the East in general got better, and so that will you know if if you're kind of if you feel like the Knicks have basically are a similar basketball team that than they were last year, you could, that could be an argument as to why they wouldn't win as many. But uh, you know, so so yeah, are they six wins lower than 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 uh, expected from last year, Corbin? In your mind? I, I don't. Yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say they are. I'm gonna say that they are. I think that some of it also is just some. I I don't want to say age related decline, but a lot of the guys are looking at you. Look at Derrick Rose, who's a big part of their season. He still looks good in the preseason. I just think he'll be knocked around for a couple of games and miss some time. If you say it for Derrick Rose, you gotta say it for Kemba Walker, who's already had established knee injuries for the last couple of years as well. Um, once you take that down, then you're looking at guys like Evan Fournier and, and Julius Randle, who I think are still very good guys. And Coach Chip's going to coach the heck out of this team. Defensively, they're going to be pretty solid. But I do think you just have teams that are going to be better. And if you have injuries to a Knicks team that's already kind of at a disadvantage just talent-wise, then then yeah, I think I think you are going to be a little a little bit of, a little bit of aggression there. Not not of course due to anything they did on their part. I think they did a nice job of of, of putting together reasonable contracts that you know kind of help for now and for later you might see um a boost in terms of rj barrett and what he brings to the table as well he could be due for a breakout you know year um alec burks had a good run we could see him putting the ball in the basket being consistent nerves noel was solid as well we'll see what evan fournier brings historically i'm not very high on him sbc love can tell you that um so you know i have my thoughts there but at the same time i give i give credit to the knicks for the way they put these rosters together you know, just team-friendly contracts to solid talent at a reasonable rate, you know? So, yeah, it might not show itself on the win column as much as they might expect for this one, but I still think they'll have a solid team and ultimately a solid season. Yeah, so we got another disagreement because I am going over here, and, Whoa. you know, I I understand and, and, and agree to a certain extent with some of your logic that, yeah, they've They've got some older players on their roster that might decline. And yes, the East in general is better. I would say though, that, you know, when you talk about regular season basketball, it is so helpful to not only have the, the Tibbs effect where he, he pushes the players that he knows helps him with basketball games of the regular season. And he's also got depth. So if you deal with, you know, if Kemba Walker gets hurt, they still have Derek Rose and uh, you know, Emmanuel quickly. So they uh, they've got depth. They've got, you know, Mitchell Robinson didn't play hardly at all last year and he should come back. I think at some point this season, and even then you've still got Noel and Taj Gibson. You could even play Julius Randall some at the five. And, and I also, despite some of you know, despite the fact that, yeah, I agree. Some of their older players might decline. They've got enough young talent in Toppin and quickly and, and RJ Barrett that'll improve that I think will offset a lot of that. So uh, yeah, I think when, when you've got a, a coach that, that gets his teams to play hard, they're going to be a good defensive unit. Uh, I think there's, 
there's a pretty high floor for this team, at least in the regular season. And we could see again, though, where they have a nice, nice year where they get one of the top five or six seeds, but then look pretty miserable in the playoffs because Tibbs is, you know, Tibbs's teams typically are pushing so hard in the regular season that there isn't another level for those teams to get to come postseason. I, I, I can agree with that to a certain extent. I think, like you said, just evaluating the Eastern Conference and where they are, for sure, I, I get that. I just think that ultimately it's not enough for me to sway. I think that unless there is, you know, some seismic injuries at the very top for the East or just a massively underperforming team, that they will slip just a little bit. Um, and again, not really do any fault of their own, but the fact that just teams are better, you know, um, and yeah. that I think they got took advantage of a, of, a, of a hole that was there, a vacuum that was there with less competitive teams, you know, Indiana not really being there, the, you know, the, like it was it was more of a vacuum there that the Knicks were able to fill their spot in. But now it's solidifying a little bit more. I think we see a lot more clarity from the top down, even with Brooklyn, which we'll get to in a minute. And I think the Knicks kind of slot in where they do unless something breaks wrong for other teams. I just don't see a way they can move up in a in a. In a like, I don't want to say demonstrative fashion, but in a dramatic fashion. So I feel like they just have to drop so they can't move up. And I don't think they'll stay around the same. Okay. So let's, let's talk about the team that's uh, that's ahead of them in the, the over under numbers. And that is the Indiana Pacers. They are set at 42.5 and uh, they're expected. Uh, their expected win total over 82 based on their point differential last season was 39.9. So, uh, you know, expecting about a 2.5 or 2.6 win jump for the Pacers this time around. And uh, they do have an improvement at coach with the likes of Rick Carlisle. But, uh, you know, they've already started to, you know, with Edmund Sumner and, uh, you know, with TJ Warren dealing with injuries already. They, uh, you know, they're they're a little bit gimpy coming out of the gate. Uh, yeah, they definitely are. And this is the, the tragic problem with Indiana. It's like every year we try to reevaluate them and see will they come together. You know, we ask the same question about the Miles Turner and DeMontis Simone's front court. You know, what we'll get from insert guard XYZ in the last couple of years, Victor Oladipo, this year, Karis LeVert, Malcolm Brogdon's gone down. It's, it's a lot of team, and this is going to be, I'm going to say it right now, I'm taking the under. Um, and for a simple, or simple reason, injuries. I mean, they have a lot of guys who have had injury history. Uh, Indiana's been hit hard by the last couple of years. You can add injury plus coaching dysfunction last season, but it's really as simple as that for me. I think it was more them all playing together, jumping together than talent-wise. Yeah, they, they have a nice, tough unit that can play in different styles. And, you know, even if Miles Turner is on the trade block, whatever, when he is available, someone who can impact the, the game far from the defensive end. Some of things kind of have been left out of the defensive player of the year kind of discussion, but offensively as well. Uh, but unfortunately, you really don't know. They've been hit a bit hard by the injury bug over the last couple of years. TJ Warren as well. So you bring that up, and a lot of these core guys for them, I, I can't help but take the under, and that's just because, I mean, we, we've seen this. I think this is this is kind of the pace just happen to have a, a group of players who unfortunately get injured um, or haven't recovered from lingering injuries. And I, I haven't had reason to believe that they have before because they haven't shown it. Then why would I abruptly change course now? I do not. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we are in agreement. I'm going under as well. And, you know, again, yeah, just based on, you know, if they were fully healthy based on the talent, the coaching here, I probably would go over. But, yeah, given with they've already got some injury issues. And then also there's just the element of, you know, we, we've seen the Sabonis and Turner thing 
already. You know, it's getting old at this point. You know, they they in some ways complement each other skill wise, but they don't make each other better. You know, that that's the that's the thing that I noticed throughout this whole roster is you've got a bunch of guys that, yeah, if you just look at them in a vacuum at their position, like, yeah, they're a solid player. But you don't see a lot of guys and skill sets that accentuate the skills of the. There you go. I like that. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, that that's my main issue. And yeah, like you know, even though Rick Carlisle is a great coach, it is his first year there, so there's going to be some growing pains, you would imagine. So yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think we're in in pretty much uh, in in relative agreement on 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 Indiana. We're back, baby, back in agreement. Yeah, so never left. Yeah, let's let's get to the uh, the Boston Celtics. They're over under set at forty five point five, and uh, this line is uh, pretty similar to their uh, expected win total over eighty two for last season, which was forty five. So uh, this is a team that uh, you know has a lot of young talent, but has a new coach in Imi Udoka, and uh, you know has some new pieces in Al Horford and Dennis Schroeder, and uh, they brought Cantor back as a third center. So uh, some some new faces, a new coach, but still a young and very talented roster. Yeah, this is going to be a, a squad for sure that I think is interesting in terms of how they fit. I'm not – I'm going to get your feedback first. I'm not quite sure. I've gone back and forth. I'm not quite sure what I feel. Yeah, I mean – I'm torn. I'm, ugh, I don't want to be overly pessimistic about Boston, but I'll let you go first. Yeah, I'll just say that I, I'm, I'm taking the over here. And, uh, you know, currently I actually have them uh, competing with Philadelphia for the four seed in the East. I think they're going to be right around the four or five. I have I have Milwaukee, Brooklyn and Atlanta. One, two, three. Fair enough. Um, oh, Atlanta. Just, well, yeah, just no, I kind of just spoiled Atlanta before we get. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, well, no. I- all good. <laughs> you know. The Celtics, you know, just Jason Tatum, I think, was approaching a top 15 level player last season and could maybe even take a step to approaching that top 10. Jalen Brown ascended to being that second star that I think the team needs. And they've got they've got young talent. I'm still a fan, uh, you know, from seeing in summer league uh, uh, Aaron Neesmith. I like him as a guy that can come off the bench. Dennis Schroeder kind of getting him off the scrap heap. He brings a skill set that this team needs as far as that uh, attacking of the basket. And then Al Horford also with his dribble handoff game, you know, they've got two centers now in Horford and Robert Williams that uh, can initiate those dribble handoffs, brings a little extra of that passing, that playmaking from the center spot. So, yeah, I, I like what the Celtics have going. I think they're, they're going to continue to be, you know, despite uh, struggling a little bit last year, a, a solid defense because, you know, they, they've just got a bunch of, pretty solid to to great individual defenders. We haven't even brought up Marcus Smart yet. That's true. Josh Richardson as well is due for a bounce back year. I guess I just feel weird because I look at some of the guys they have. You bring back in this canter. You bring back Al Horford. I'll be at 35. You know, uh, Dennis Schroeder as a Lakers fan. Dennis Schroeder. I'll just leave it at that. Um, I just, I don't know. I look at these guys, you know, Chris Dunn. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I'm not super high on them, as you can tell, just by my lack lack of this kind of attitude to them i think that you look a lot at um jason tatum and what his improvement you look at jalen brown and how he improved as well uh those guys i mean the south is going to go as far as they go anyway i think having a new coach maybe instilling some ball handling and and and, and um offensive creation responsibilities to 
both Tatum and Brown will be impactful for their own development moving forward and how this team comes together. But I could also see, I don't see it right now. Um, but I mean, we'll see how Al Horford is over the course of the year. Uh, Dennis Schroeder and his canter. I think in his canter, you know, gonna, you know what you're going to get on one side of the floor and you know what you're going to get on the other side of the floor. And I'll just leave it there. You know, Dennis Schroeder is someone who he could easily kind of hijack the offense trying to play himself into a bigger contract. Just seeing the kind of guy that he's been in terms of his play, you could tell that. And I'm not judging one way or the other, but like he has a singular focus in mind. It's about, you know, getting him his, his play in. So I could see this team not combust, but just do this same type of way they played last year where they have their peaks and they have their valleys. And um, I'm just not sold on them completely. I think that the, the moves made around them are, are okay. Um, you know, I like the fact they got Moses Brown as well. Um, I like Josh Richardson if he's able to have a strong bounce back year after two lost seasons away from Miami. But I'm just not hopeful on that. Jo- Moses Brown is still young. From what we've seen from Josh Richardson, like maybe that's gone. You know, the type of, uh, of solid shooting, decent defending swingman guy. And then you look at Al Horford all of a sudden, that's a lot of attention on an older big man, no matter how good he is. And we go back right back to where we start with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And I don't know. I, I'm, I'm leaning toward the under. I was trying to try to be more rational. I'm hearing that's why I wanted to hear your side. And it definitely makes sense. But for me, I don't think it overrides my concern with the rest of the roster and just how good they'll be over the course of the season. Yeah, I guess my my counter to a lot of your points there, and I agreed with a lot of what you said and some of your concerns over their individual players. But I actually kind of like their depth. You know, we didn't bring up Peyton Pritchard yet. But, you know, if Dennis Schroeder is really struggling, and especially given they didn't pay him a ton of money, like they don't have to play Schroeder a ton. They can they can play Marcus Smart at point guard. They can play Pritchard at point guard. You know, if Al Horford has uh, fallen off and, you know, seems washed, you can you can up the minutes of Robert Williams. And as you mentioned, they still even have flyers with Moses Brown and, and Enos Cantor. So they, they've got some depth there. And, and you also brought up Josh Richardson, which I think is a, is a key addition, you know, especially if they're going to go with Marcus Smart at, at the point guard lineups, you know, having that extra depth at the wing spots is crucial. And again, I, I already brought up Neesmith and we didn't mention Langford yet, but I still am holding out hopes that hope that he could give them something at some point, but uh, you know, they've got enough guys and enough depth where, you know, again, you're just trying to find three guys around the the Tatum Brown duo that can give you just, you know, solid production to, to put this team in that high forties or near 50 win territory. I'm happy, you know what? You swayed me. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go on your way because I didn't even. You, I, I didn't even read. Think of Robert Williams and the role he'll have and how good improvement he made last year. Marcus Smart as well, someone who I'm always sleeping on just because he's just a solid new guy. Um, yeah. No, you make a really. You make really good points. Uh, you you slayed me first. I'll take. It. I'm gonna take the over. All right. Great. Let's uh, let's move to the Atlanta Hawks. They're over under set at forty six point five. And uh, their expected uh, win total over 82 for last year was at 46.6. So, again, you know, this was one of the and, – and I already spoiled this when I was talking about who I thought my top three or four in the East. But this was one of the easier decisions for me because this is basically suggesting they're going to be, you know, a similar team to what they were in the regular season last year, despite the fact that – they had this great playoff run, which brings a lot of confidence to a young team. They 
they have uh, they're, they're now going to have Nate McMillan for the full season. They've got so many guys that I think are going to improve, including their best player, Trey Young. And they suffered so many injuries last year that, uh, you know, the downside was last season. <laughs> that was the downside scenario. And they still managed to have a, uh, based on point differential, 46.6 wins. So I, I just can't see how they're the same or worse than they were last year. I mean, when, when you first said it, I was like, wait a second, but I actually agree. I think that you're right. Like, I don't know. Again, barring injuries to some of these guys, you look at Danilo Gallinari, you look at a um, Bogdan Madonovic, like they've had injuries before. So I am kind of worried in that extent um, because who's to say they won't happen again this year? You know what I mean? Um, at the same time, I do think some of the additional depth they had in the draft definitely helps them out. Sharif Cooper is looking more and more like a steal with each passing moment. Um, you look and at some in, of the other. And, uh, in, uh, and in, in free agency with the addition of DeLon Wright and uh, that is true. Jennings. I mean, listen, DeLon Wright is no uh, Rajon Rondo, which is unfortunate, but no, I'm kidding. Um, but you're right. Gorgie Jang had a, a solid year. I thought he was an underrated signing, so underrated. I for almost forgot to mention him here. Um, you, you look at Lou Williams, who had a strong year, coming back one more year. Why not? You know, and he played decently. He was a spark plug for them in the playoffs in a major way as well. Uh, John Collins back with some security, so we're going to worry about that. Jalen Johnson's had his moments as well. I agree with you. There's just a lot of depth here, but even if they do get some injuries, you know, I mean, look, they're already missing on Yenka Kongu uh, for the start of the season with that shoulder surgery, and you still have uh, enough guys around that, you know, the loss of a Chris Dunn or a Bruno Fernando or a Tony Snell don't hurt you. Right. And, and yeah, I just, uh, you know, DeAndre Hunter missed a ton of time last year. And there are obviously True. still some some concerns over his knee after all of the issues that he dealt with. But, you know, if he gives them more time, like I thought when he was healthy, he was arguably their third best player. Yeah, he had a strong year last season for sure. Yeah. So just more of DeAndre Hunter would be a huge boost. We also saw, you know, Cam Reddish missed a ton of the season and he had some moments in the playoffs as well. So. Uh, again, like, yeah, I, I just think there, there's no way they could have worse injury luck this year than they had last year. And you're, you're going to have, I think, just the, the confidence that comes from that playoff run last year. It's going to be there. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident they're going to be, I would argue they're, you know, probably going to win. I, I would say they're going to win at least 50. I mean, that that's solid. Wow, yeah. I, I'm going I'm to I'm definitely take the over. Don't know if I'm going to go right over 50 wins, but like you, you, the way you're talking about it, they do have enough depth that you could reasonably see that, enough quality depth. All right, so the next team on the list is the Miami Heat. They're over under set at 48.5. They're a 2020-21 expected, uh, expected win total based on their point differential, 41.3. And, of course, Jimmy Butler missed some time last year. Uh, Tyler Hero had a down season in his second year in the NBA, but uh, you know this is a this is a huge bet on the acquisition of Kyle Lowry and PJ Tucker. That uh, those guys are going to make this team, you know, at least five wins better, and then presumably a little bit extra he- better health from Butler would also give you a couple extra wins. Yeah. Oh no, th- this is not even a hard one for me. I'm definitely going to take the over on this. I think that you do have. Uh, just an upground talent. It, it made me give a pause just because these guys are a little older. 
you know, um, and I mean, you, you definitely made some improvements, but I don't know if you have as much shooting as I think you would like uh, for a Miami Heat team that, I mean, it's still at the end of the day, two of your three top guys are shaky at best outside shooters in terms of Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo around Kyle Lowry. At the same time, uh, I do like the fact that they do have some more veteran win now guys that are going to dig and, and work. You know, you take a flyer on um, a Victor Oladipo and see where that may end up. Uh, working toward the end of the season when he's or toward the middle of the season or end of the season when he's due to return. Uh, you bring in a guy I've, I love as Lakers fan, uh, a Marquise Morris, a, a PJ Tucker, going to bring some grit. Um, been remarkably sturdy, consistent over the last couple of years in terms of health. Uh, stout defensively, can give you a three or two as well. Yeah, I, I, I like what Miami's done. Um, and I, I think I think it, it made for a, a better team for sure. I think these guys are going to anchor a really dogged defense, know what it's been like. Again, a veteran-laden team to kind of know the ups and downs of the season, and I think they can withstand a lot. So I'm, I'm reasonably high on Miami. So we've got a disagreement again because uh, I am, I'm going under here. And, uh, you know, you, you brought up that uh, you, you they might not have as much shooting as you would like. I think that's the understatement of the century, Corbin. Uh, you know, with that front court of Jimmy Butler, PJ Tucker, and Bam Adebayo, there's zero shooting. <laughs> I mean, I mean, listen, PJ Tucker, I think we'll have a bounce back year from the corners. He had a horrific season last year. I think part of that was due one to just Houston just laying an egg entirely, and the fact that he did not get the wide open spacing and penetration that he was used to from the lack of James Harden because you had no one else to even emulate that. Whereas now between Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, there'll be enough gravity going to the rim that you won't have to see uh, P.J. Tucker resort to a lot of the closeout drive to the basket kind of plays that he had last season that were kind of weird until you realize that he really had nowhere else to go, you know? Um, and then by the time we went to Milwaukee, that I, 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 I worry about a little bit if that was a troubling trend because he did get some wide open threes, he just clanked them. But at the same time, I'm willing to, to to bet that there's a return to the mean for PJ because that was some historically bad shooting for him. Now, that being said, uh, Bam Adebayo could show some progression. He's been working on his mid-range game from last season. He could work on it now. I just don't know if until I see it, I don't want to project it. Um, although I didn't see a mid-range game last year, and he did. Jimmy Butler, I'm pretty sold that that's not his. Like, that's, like I feel like he's regressing as an outside shooter, very Russell Westbrook-like as he ages to the point that it's not – Unlike Russell, I think Jimmy's kind of excised part of his game entirely, but that's still an issue. Now, the reason I also push back, you are getting very, very, very good shooting from your point guard and your shooting guard in Kyle Lowry and Duncan Robinson. I think that you that, that opens up a world, I think, potentially to enough to mitigate the lack of offense you'll get from the outside from those guys that you mentioned. Yeah, so, I mean... I, I'm in agreement that Jimmy Butler is good at attacking the rim, but uh, more the, the Heat have more rim gravity than the Bucks with Giannis. I don't I don't know if I agree with that. I, I mean, I won't say more. I won't say more. I I, I won't say more because Giannis is just Giannis. But I will say equal. I'd say both of them is equal to one Giannis if we were doing some type of arbitrary mathematics here, just because Brook Lopez has none. You know, I mean, he has some, but you know what I mean. Um, so no, I agree with you on that end as well. I just think that you're gonna have a constant. Uh, attack a constant four-way of attack whether that's butler going to lane you bam rolling butler and bam four and you know three and four uh three and five pick and roll so yeah i agree with you there it definitely wasn't that but also you also have a, a pj tucker who came to milwaukee mid-season 
toward the end of the season. Like I'm willing to, I'm willing to take all of last year, and I know it's a lot to do, but I'm willing to take last year and put it like I did with the Raptors in the aberration of a year. You know, find this footing again, get back with the team. You know, not where you had to change your game middle of the year and go back. And also, you have a you don't have to take on the toughest defensive assignment like he did. You know, and probably didn't have the legs under him doing all he could to stick Kevin Durant. You know, during the during most of the playoffs, like I feel like well, not most of the playoffs, but like you know what I mean during a significant part of the Bucks kind of run. I just feel like we could see an uptick to his production that is not the worst, as you said, kind of shooting front court. Yeah, I guess with with Tucker, I'm more on the side of I just think he is, uh, you know. Similar to Draymond Green, you know, we, we think of when players age and they start to regress that it's always a defensive thing. But for some guys, it's an offensive thing. Yeah. Oh, 100 percent. And so no, I agree I, with you. I'm more of the belief that it like with Draymond, with P.J. Tucker, that, you know, they've been able to in, you know, in really spectacular fashion, maintain elite defensive levels but their offensive game has dropped off. And yeah, I'm, I'm not of the belief that PJ Tucker at what age 36 is going to have a, a turnaround to, to feeling like he was, or to looking like he was on offense for that 2018 Houston Rockets team. But uh, yeah, that, you know, yes, Kyle Lowry and, uh, and Duncan Robinson obviously provide great shooting, but you know, in the NBA in 2021, I think ideal offensive spacing includes at least four shooters and they have two. Even as great as those two are, it's still two. <laughs> the, the Lakers would like a word, sir. That's, uh, I just, I just well, say. I'm also low on the Lakers. Office. Oh, no <laughs> surprise. Russell's on the team. Jeez. I'm done. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, that's the big thing for me. I, I, I think, I don't think there's really an argument to, to make that Miami, Miami's going to be a great defense. It's just a matter of like, you know, how low is the, the offense going to, going to drop and then also like i think this team given their age and i think similar to the lakers they might opt to sit a jimmy butler or a pj tucker or a kyle lowry on certain nights to make sure that they are healthy and ready to go when the games matter in the postseason and if that means having to to be the sixer even have to play in the play-in game to make sure that their team is healthy and right when it matters i think the the heat or the heat organization will will do that and prioritize that over you know a Tuesday night game in Charlotte. I, I tend to not think that they'll go so dramatic in terms of the playing, but I do agree with you in terms of being uh, uh, airing to the extreme side of caution or close to the extreme side of caution to preserve the health of some of their players. I will definitely give you that for sure. Yeah, like you'll, you'll probably disagree since we disagreed on both their over-unders, but it would not shock me if the New York Knicks are higher in the standings than the Miami Heat this season. That is a take, sir. I, I mean, <laughs> I, listen, I respect the take. I, I don't know if I agree, like you said. I mean, it's, it's a, there's a world where it's possible. So I'm not like outright withstanding it. The Knicks are a solid team, you know what I mean? And if you have a Milwaukee, I mean, not a Milwaukee, Miami Heat team that is not prioritizing wins as much as just staying healthy and preserving continuity, then there is a world. I don't see this world, but but I do see it possible. <laughs> so I, I, I'll go, I'll agree with you there, Garrett. All right, so uh, we've got three teams left here, and all of these teams have listed over-unders at above 50. So the, the first one to talk about is the Philadelphia 76ers. They're over-under set at 50.5. Last year, their expected win total was 54.5. So a little bit of a drop-off, and I assume part of that has to do with the drama and uh, revolving around Ben Simmons. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, you just don't know what's going to happen. You know, is he going to play? Is he not going to play? I mean, right now he reported, so it seems like he is. If he is going to play, how how long before he is traded? You know, what you're going to get out of him? Is he going to kind of throw in the towel a la Andrew Bynum back in the day or James Harden a little close to this past year? You know, do just enough, but not really anything. Andrew Bynum was an extreme case. Uh, look up Andrew Bynum in the end of pace. See if y'all want to look that up. But, like, what type of uh, – Performance are going to get from Simmons while he's there. A, what type of return are you going to get for Simmons if and slash when he's traded? B, and then what what type of performance does that package yield? That's the third thing. It's just major questions. Just talent alone. The reason they're even up as high as they are is, of course, one Joel Embiid and the fact that you do have, do have some decent shooters. Um, you have you know Seth Curry, Danny Green, decent defenders. Curry Green plus multi Stiebel, Shake Milton's there. You know, you have you have talent, but Tobias Harris, of course. Um, you have guys that are good players. I just your 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 hub was, of course, Embiid and Simmons, and now it's Embiid slash question mark. Is it going to be Simmons? Is that the remainder of the year? There's a lot of questions. I don't know. So uh, just on air of caution, I'm taking the under uh, because you also have to count for the fact that Embiid is due to miss a couple of games, a handful, being 15 to 20 usually. Yeah, we are we are in agreement. Um, you know, I, uh, I I have the similar concerns about you know I think as far as health, what Embiid had you know the season he had last year is about as good as I think you can expect from him. Given that I think the organization is, as you stated, going to just sit him out certain nights, and uh, you know he's he's also a seven footer that has a bad injury history. So yeah, you know I I don't trust this team to do that well without him. And um, yeah, the whole the whole Simmons drama. Of course, he now is reporting and uh, is in Philadelphia, and so like who knows what's happening. But I don't think Daryl Morey is going to make a trade, even for like someone like Ben Simmons for CJ McCollum, which I think would actually be a good trade for the Sixers. But Morey is so preoccupied with stars, stars, stars that I don't think he's going to trade Simmons unless it's for Damian Lillard or Bradley Beal or someone like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you're probably going to have either, you know, you're, you're probably going to have either Ben Simmons, you know, faking an injury or playing and intentionally playing poorly. You know, there's, there's a lot of possibilities, but it all leads to, you know, probably a, a, a bad outcome for the Philadelphia 76ers basketball team. Yeah, anyway, you kind of slice it. It doesn't look well for them. I can agree with that 100%. Um, and it's like you mentioned, you're right. You don't know what kind of performance you're going to get from Ben Simmons. And, and and that is kind of the biggest thing that kind of looms over the rest of this. So, yeah, I, I'm glad we're back in agreement with the under. And it's, it's unfortunate because, you know, you want – at least I want to see what Philadelphia looks like. I, I feel bad that it's dragged out this long. But almost like you point out, it's like Darren Moore is either A, so obsessed with the star for star-type trade, that he's not really seeing clear value when presented to him, or B, he's just so obsessed with trying to win, quote unquote, this trade that he's not looking again at clear value when presented. You, I would have done even a, a Buddy Hield, maybe Harrison Barnes or something if I could have, or you know, something like that of the sort to get players that yes, they're not stars. But what is so wrong about building around Embiid and having really solid role players around him? Uh, I would even, I wouldn't even put Alba Caesar McCullum more in between role player and star, not superstar, but you know what I mean, that type of role um, where he can fit in perfectly for what they're trying to do bring everything you're not getting from ben simmons the playmaking drop-off isn't 
tremendously that big of a difference in my own opinion. I mean, this is different in terms of pushing pace and making plays and stuff, but CJ McCollum is a good initiating guard, like a good secondary kind of guy, and he can make an entry pass. That's what you need, right? Give the ball to Embiid, be able to create your own shot. CJ McCollum can do it the best in the business, and there you go. So the fact that this is this this drama still lingering out is it, it's, it's on it, Simmons, of course, but it's also on, of course, uh, just their GM in front office is not making rational decisions when it comes to moves to make to upgrade this roster before the season starts. Yeah. Like McCollum's issue is defense. He was the second best. He was the second option on the number two rated offense last season. There you go. As a a number two offense offensively, he's great. And you're putting him on a team where he can hide on the weakest offensive guard because you have uh, uh, Danny Green and a multi-style as well. I mean, it makes right. Seth Curry kind of high. He looks decent, you know, and there's certain lineups where you can even get, you know, shrink the floor. Tobias Harris is still there. Uh, you know, you have Joel Embiid to protect the rim. Like, you can do that. And he looks so much of a better player if he's healthy because his weaknesses aren't as, as, as exposed. Right. And, yeah, like the, the one concern about a McCollum fit would be like, yeah, I, I would feel a little iffy about playing McCollum and Curry together. Yeah, you certainly can stagger them for most of the time. And then when they when you do overlap them, it can be against, you know, opposing second units to try to get away with it as much as possible. Yeah, it's a break glass in case of emergency type thing. If you ever play those two together, offense, amazing. The defense, yikes. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, so we're in agreement on the Sixers both going under. But I, I will say, you know, if Joel Embiid plays like he did last year and plays 67 or more games, like they'll probably go over. Wouldn't you agree? I, I would say so. I'd say so. If you get if you get a healthy Embiid, that makes up the difference. I'm just obviously penciling in time missed as well as uncertainty about Simmons. If you were to say Simmons stayed the whole year and Embiid played, I'd probably keep them a little higher. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just like you said, the unknown. You know, the unknown plus the given uh, injury to Embiid. And then again, we don't know who's stepping up in Embiid's place like we had Ben Simmons last year. Could it be it? Could it be Simmons again? Could it be player X? Is it just Tobias Harris? You know, those are three different ways and three different potential answers based off where you have that. Yeah. So let's uh, let's move on to the reigning NBA champions, the Milwaukee Bucks. They're over under set at 54.5. And uh, their expected win total for last season over 82 games was 54.2. So this number pretty much in line with what they did last year. And uh, they they made some changes. But, you know, at some point they'll be getting uh, Dante DiVincenzo back. They added Grayson Allen. They replaced P.J. Tucker with Semi Ojale, which, you know, obviously a a bit of a downgrade there. But, uh, you know, they um, they also – took a flyer on a guy like Rodney Hood. So they, they seeming, and oh, I for, almost forgot about George Hill. So they've got a couple of, uh, a couple more veterans, maybe a little bit better depth this time around. And similar to what I was talking about with Atlanta and the confidence that comes from a long playoff run, the Bucs just won the championship. That's true. They did. I mean, they're sitting pretty. I, I, I think you have to take the over just because I feel it's kind of low, you know? Yeah. Um, but I honestly would, if it was higher, let's say if it was like, 59 i'd probably take the low on the under just because i feel like this team again they're sitting pretty they just won they want to prioritize keeping themselves healthy for another playoff run 
They know the way they played last year, you know, relatively conservatively in terms of building that continuity paid off come playoff time. You know, being smart in terms of making the moves they did, adding it to that group that they already had, they, they had the blueprint. It, it won them a ring. Uh, the only reason I'm not going to go the under this time is because it's simple. Like, <laughs> they're too talented to just be 54. I think if 54 happened, you lose Giannis for a chunk of games or maybe Chris Holiday or Chris Holiday. I'm tired. Chris, Chris Milton or Drew Holiday. Oh, that'd be a combination. Maybe, you know, they miss a, a chunk of games and so they slip lower than expected. But I think they'll kind of sleep off their way into 54 at least. So I'm, I'm definitely going to take the over. Yeah, I don't think there's much more to say. I think you covered it all there. They're a good basketball team, and they're, they've got good chemistry. They've got the same coach. They've got a system in place that's uh, that's going to keep their floor really, really high. So, uh, yeah, we both picked the over. So we're, we're down to the final team, Corbin, and uh, it's the, the Brooklyn Nets. They're over-under set at 56.5. Um, I guess I have not checked if that number has changed since the Kyrie Irving news. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, but, uh, you know, just to, just to alert the listeners, the Nets have essentially said that Kyrie Irving is not going to be a part-time player. He, they're not just going to let him play in road games. So uh, unless he gets vaccinated, he is not going to be a part of the, the Brooklyn Nets this season. So given that, and uh, we're just going to stick with the, the number that we initially had, Corbin, at 56.5, what are, what are your thoughts on this? I feel like... Uh, no, it's not. I'm taking the under. Um, not by much, though. Not by much. I could see 52 wins. I just don't think, again, you're, you're going to have a team that's going to be conservative with the health of Kevin Durant, James Harden already, much less now. I'm not taking now with the new recent developments into consideration for my prediction, just stating it as a fact here. But add to that the fact that I think that they will also just be unfortunately injuries, you know, again, Harden has come back from a significant injury for his, for his time. Kevin Durant still going to have some low management just because of the just horrific injuries he's suffered in the past. And the fact that 33, he's getting a little older. So like, you're going to have some more rest. You're going to have a very conservative Brooklyn Nets team. The depth that they have is interesting. I don't think it's game changing depth to keep pace at a 54 win pace. Just a lot of those guys are older or, you know, younger or just not that group. I, I think that's depth that you look scary to kind of supplement your stars and keep you in games without them. But I don't think it's something that, you know, I think they'll, they'll have their share of losses enough to keep them just underneath that. I, I personally think more 52. So it's tough and I could definitely be talked into it, but I'm going to take the under because I just see Brooklyn being that conservative with their guys. Yeah. And, and I, I should state too, I'm taking the under here as well, but this is also, I'm under the assumption that Kyrie is just, so stubborn and, and ignorant that he will just not get vaccinated at any point, And they're just going to have zero games of Kyrie Irving. So this is under the impression that this is Kevin Durant and James Harden with, you know, role players. It's a two-star team as opposed to a three-star team. And uh, you know, I still think it's going to be close. I would still suggest to just those two guys with a solid supporting cast is a mid fifties win team. Uh, I think they're going to be competing right there with Milwaukee for the top seed in the East. And that might be another thing to consider is those two teams sort of pushing for home court advantage down the stretch might lift both of these teams up a little bit, but uh, yeah, I'm thinking it's more like 55 or even 56, which again, with the line at 56.5, I'm going to have it a little bit under. And as you stated, you know, there's now with, uh, with 
Irving out, that makes it even more important for the likes of Harden and Durant to stay healthy. And they've had their fair share of, uh, of injury issues themselves. And also, you know, uh, despite the fact that they're likely to be, you know, I would be shocked if they're anything lower than like a top three offense, they're still, you know, their defense isn't going to be that impressive, I wouldn't imagine. I would agree. I just think that there's defense is going to be an issue. I think they've much improved from yeah, last year. And even last year, they were surprising, you know, on paper, that defense is horrible, but they got stout when they needed to, you know, particularly in the playoffs. Um, with that being said, yeah, you add injury risk, you add being overly conservative as a team, you add the fact that, you know, your depth is good, but not like just world changing depth in close games and that defense is a consistent weakness. And I think you have the recipe for uh, under team uh, again, not by much. It seems going to be very good. But, yeah, I definitely see them under more than, I would say, the Bucks. Yeah, all right. So, uh, in total, we had four disagreements. The uh, first one was the Orlando Magic. Corbin took the over. I took the under. The Chicago Bulls. Corbin took the over. I took the under. The New York Knicks. Corbin went under. I went over. And the Miami Heat. Corbin uh, took the over and I took the under. But uh, in total, Corbin went with nine overs and six unders in the Eastern Conference. I went with seven overs and eight unders. I like this. I like the little contrast we had here. This was nice. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, again, this uh, this episode will be coming out, I believe, a day or two before the season starts. So hopefully this was a nice primer for you all listening. But uh, Corbin, you know, of course, as always, I can't thank you enough for for your time and generosity coming on here and uh, and talking hoops with me. I, I kid you, I'm not exaggerating at all when I say anytime time hoops with you is a pleasure, man. Thank you again. Always fun. Thanks for listening to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. Corbin Ford and Gary Bouguet here with you. And uh, just wanted to, to quickly say before we wrap up, uh, please subscribe, rate, and review Duncan Dynasty. We're on, uh, we're on iTunes. We're on Spotify, wherever you get your, uh, your podcast. That is uh, much appreciated. You can find me on uh, Twitter at Garrett Bouguet. Corbin, why don't you tell the people what you got going on? Oh, man, you can find me on Twitter at CorbinMBA. Uh, definitely make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. I mean, following me is just an afterthought here. But if you want some more NBA content from yours truly, uh, check out Round Ball Ramble. Um, it is my podcast. You can also find uh, the description uh, on my Twitter handle. On my Once you click on my Twitter handle, uh, definitely check that out. And, uh, yeah, a bunch of other um, assorted pods. I love talking hoops just like my friend Garrett does. So you know where to find me there. That's the main part to catch my work. Yeah, can't recommend Round Ball Ramble enough. Corbin does goes, does great stuff there, and I've appeared on it numerous times and uh, <laughs> hopefully will be uh, continuing to appear on it in the future. Again, we appreciate you all for listening, and, of course, enjoy the next week in the NBA calendar. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning. Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for.
based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas. Visit cox.com internet for details.